Let's Shape the Future is a show where I chat with business leaders, inspiring individuals and more about who and what is shaping the future. I am your host, Ben Dickinson. If you're new here, welcome. And if you're an existing listener, then welcome back. I hope you enjoy the episode and please share with friends, family, colleagues or anyone else you think would enjoy the content. Without further ado, let's crack on with the episode. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Let's Shape the Future. Um, today's topic is centered around the world of fintech and we're joined by a great guest truly driving the industry. Accolades include being featured in the Standout 35 2018 and 2019 by Innovate Finance, 35 Women Under 35 from Management Today and European Digital Financial Services Power 50, just to name a few. Um, I've got the privilege of being joined by Sophie Gibble. Chief Growth Officer at OpenPaid. So thank you, Sophie, for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me, Ben. Um, so for those that aren't aware, did you want to give a description of who OpenPaid are, what you do, and what your role in the business entails? Sure. Uh, so OpenPaid um, is basically a banking as a service provider that provides um, corporate banking and payments to, uh, to corporates. Mm-hmm. So we uh, provide bank accounts, um, sub accounts for their uh, own and consumers, um, FX, card processing, open banking. Essentially, we enable uh, our customers to uh, embed financial services um, into their existing offering um, to basically uh, improve customer experience. Mm-hmm. Nice. So what does your role as chief growth officer entail on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. So um, as chief growth uh, officer, I'm in charge of marketing, of sales, of customer success, including the the delivery of what we have promised to clients. So it's a pretty broad role that uh, essentially set up like the strategic agenda, but also like ensures that operationally speaking, we um, we implement and deliver on uh, the, the strategic agenda. So over the past 18 months, where I uh, since when I have joined OpenPaid, um, essentially, we have been uh, basically creating the full strategy, um, operating a product market fit um, by deciding uh, on specific segments that we believed we could service, um, but also uh, basically like validating them and seeing if yes there was potential or not for our solutions nice and had you heard much about open pay before you joined the company well how, how big was it when you joined um, it was actually quite uh, at the same size as it is currently. So uh, we are 100 people and when I joined we were maybe 70. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't heard at all um, about it. Uh, I was actually uh, basically head-hunted. Um, but uh, basically, like since the early conversations for me, like the company was working on uh, on what the future will look like, like in all transparency and, and truly. Like I, I really believe that the way they approached um, the ser- their, their services offering and how they positioned themselves was what the future needed, essentially. And is that sort of what you think is the, the unique value of open paid as such? So I think... First of all, like banking as a service has been around for now 10 years. I mean, I was there at the very beginning of it. Um, And um, there is a multitude of players. 
Um, but it's not so much a problem because there are so many different target segments, use cases, different way to do banking as a service. So sometimes you provide just the technology, sometimes you provide the license as well. Sometimes you provide also the, the operations. Sometimes you enable to launch neobanks and other time you enable to, to launch embedded uh, use finance use cases. And how I think um, OpenPage really differentiates is um, first of all, um, like a strong technology. So basically um, an API that can be uh, launched in two days. Mm -hmm. So we are really technology first. And I think it's really important in what we do that our customers can actually play in the sandbox as soon as they have talked to us and can actually implement our solution in less than two days. Uh, not for the most complex cases, maybe, but the truth is that you can go and get going very, very fast. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that um, OpenPaid has developed quite a strong um, number of um, partnerships um, to be able to support customers across uh, the value chain as well as geographies. What I mean by that is that we see more and more customers not interested into the payout uh, aspect of things. Uh, so meaning um, FX conversion and sending money abroad by SWIFT, mm -hmm. by uh, SEPA, by uh, FPS and things like that. But they are more and more interested in also getting the card processing and the open banking capability and everything with just one provider. So it means that having um, several partners that can help us in the background to provide the service is just much more convenient for, um, for our clients. So I think this positioning is actually pretty unique because if I look at other people in the market, um, they are not quite there yet with the card processing and the open banking. Uh, so that's the thing. And the last thing is the very strong focus on regulation and, um, and licenses, essentially. Uh, so we have licenses in the UK, in Europe, in Turkey, in Canada, and in the US. And in our segment, uh, it's very important to actually have licenses to be able to support our customers and their use cases across geographies. And I believe we are uh, probably the only one banking as a service provider with that many licenses yes so there's a lot about open pay which is pretty unique then <laughs> yes i hope so <laughs> so so going um onto onto yourself um individually so i know that your career has spanned a number of industries and businesses could you give an insight into your background and how your career has progressed over time yeah sure um so i actually started my career in finance uh, around 15 years ago now um, I uh, was just, well, uh, very interested early on uh, with, uh, with finance and with numbers and, and things like that. I started in mergers and acquisitions uh, in the US, in New York. Then I moved on to leverage buyout uh, in, in France and then to an investment fund in a tech startup. Um, we were investing between five and 15 million per, um, per company. And it's at this point that I really realized that I didn't like wanted to be on the finance side always. I actually wanted to work on the strategies, but also work on implementing them. And it's at this point that I decided to move into startup world. Um, that's the reason why I uh, basically joined Rocket Internet to launch HelloFresh in the UK back in 2011. And uh, after uh, a few months there, what I just realized that I actually didn't want to do e-commerce. I just wanted something a bit more meaty. Mm. And uh, actually, um, fintech was very much that. Uh, 
so that's the reason why I actually like so moved into fintech, joined the company at this time, which which was called Cast Prepaid, which we rebranding into Bankable now, and that is another banking as a service provider. Uh, I spent three years there, uh, launched uh, basically prepaid card programs for uh, banks such as Deutsche Bank and Commerce Bank, as well as worked on the launch of neo banks, including like anytime the uh, SME banks that just got sold to Orange uh, Group, the French uh, telco company. Um, and uh, then uh, I joined uh, Fidor, uh, which uh, was a German fintech and still is, uh, which had launched a, um, basically a community bank in, uh, in Germany back in 2008. And I was recruited to launch uh, the bank in the UK. Uh, after that, I worked on the European uh, expansion strategy of the bank. And uh, to finish, I was uh, for uh, two years the MD Europe for um, basically the technology behind the bank, which we were white labeling and uh, selling APIs off to enable other tier two and tier three banks and brands to launch their neo banks. So you got quite an extensive CV then. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, fifteen years, right? Yeah. Um. So, so was it the 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 a case of taking your passion for finance and the newfound passion for startups, and then combining them together and coming out with fintech? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was exactly it was exactly that. Is that I was always passionate about the banking world, like its complexity, um, all the different processes, the different functions, and stuff like that. And basically, uh, going into the the startup world, I I don't think there was better segment to actually uh, like circle back to uh, to my first loves. <laughs> so, so what about the startup world do you prefer compared to big corporate? Um, I think it's mostly uh, the agility of it, so the, the ability to read, uh, test out stuff and do it uh, very fast and see if it's going to work or not. So not needing to go through like several validation process um, and also not having to uh, basically uh, deal with the bandwidth of plenty of different uh, departments that need stuff uh, on the product side. So ba- basically like the... Uh, the speed and the the agility um, of it. Um, I think it's what I really enjoy and working on on innovative things that can really impact customers deeply, very, very uh, fast. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think a lot of what I like about startups is a lot of them, they're created because they're solving a real problem um, rather than just a business for the sake of it. It, it, it really is um, doing that. So um, in, in terms of fintech specifically, what are some of the key trends in the fintech sector currently that you think are, are most prominent? Yeah, um, so clearly the open banking one uh, and PSD2 one, so PSD2 regulation uh, that basically uh, tell the banks to uh, open up their API and data to, uh, to I mean, enable competition, to enable third party to access the, the data of, of their customers on an opt-in basis um, to, to be able to, to bring value to them. Um, so even if at the beginning it has been something very much regulatory and also banks are, have been very late into delivering that, I believe it's something that will shape the, the future because it's a trend that a lot of my customers are asking for because their own customers are asking for it. 
So that's the um, the first thing. Um, well, I, I I need to say embedded finance for sure. So um, <laughs> because the truth is that I believe that um, like, like we, we are in a state and we will we will reach it in a few years time. A point where essentially it's what um, Angela um, Horowitz is saying, but every company will be a fintech, and basically the number of use cases uh, of startups and even larger companies that actually need payment flows to enable a better customer experience is is mad. I mean, it means that the the future it's not for me about neo banks and and banks. It's about payment flow everywhere where people don't realize the payment flow are happening in the sense they don't need to think about it to things to to happen for them so i think it's something that is really um will be really game changing um first probably on uh, consumer platforms such as uh, stripe uber stuff like that things we are seeing already but uh, next is in the consumer world if you look at what we could do with uh, in the the car world with teslas and do mm -hmm. seamless payment what you are like whatever you are doing we see that they are doing embedded insurance right like based on the data that uh, that they get um what we could have in the retail space and maybe um uh, like uh, for for your fridge to order your food by yourself by itself uh, every every week so i think it's going to be like the world of 15 years onwards will be totally different of of what we're seeing right now and if we reflect back to what we have seen even over the past uh, 15 years and the arrival of the iphone and the apps and and things like that i don't think it's so far-fetched essentially nice i i i'd agree with all of them i think I a lot of what you you said there comes down to convenience and data insight, doesn't it? And that's what users want. You look at the likes of uh, like Revolut, for example, in the fintech space. Their their app is all about user experience and instant and just exactly what a consumer wants. And and the sort of the big banks are starting to see that shift. So you see a lot more mobile apps for for big banks becoming a lot more user friendly and and up to date than the sort of clunky ones they were before. Exactly. So, uh, I mean, it has been improving for, for sure. And Revolut is definitely um, a use case that, um, like, I mean, I was one of the early adopters. It totally changed the, the way I was traveling, right? Like, I was traveling a lot. And, of course, like, uh, exchange rate between Euro and GBP and this early focus on free FX was just a massive thing. And now, like... In where they are in the state where they have like reached out such a critical mass, but at the same side, like the ability to reach profitability is a pretty amazing achievement. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely one to watch, I think, for the future, isn't it? As is open page. Um, so in, in terms of obviously the last year, 18 months has been has been crazy for everyone. So how has the pandemic affected the fintech industry and has it had any permanent impacts, do you think? Um, yes, I think there, there has been clearly like uh, an, an impact. And yes, I think there will be a longer lasting impact on, on some of those companies. So um, on the pro side, and then we will go on the, <laughs> the more challenging side. Um, people are not using cash anymore. People uh, cannot, couldn't go into their branches anymore. So clearly there has been a big boost for, for neobanks usage. 
um, basically contactless payment usage. We are going into a hundred pound uh, contactless limit because essentially like all of that's driven uh, by, by COVID, right? Mm -hmm. There has been also like the clear winners, which have been the card acquirers um, in a booming time for e-commerce companies and people ordering online rather than, uh, than going into shops. So that has been really like um, boosting, boosting massively some, some of the fintech specifically um, in like selling to e-commerce company. Now we can mention, well, the companies that still haven't found their business model and that have had to uh, go into massive round of redundancies, such as we have seen with Monzo. So yes, on one side, like the, um, the adoption has increased a lot, but on the other side, when you haven't found your model uh, yet, or when it hasn't been your focus to find a business model, then I mean, in a time where like uh, funds are more difficult uh, to find your your challenge and so there has been a lot of redundancies there have been further schemes and and I, like it's gonna last a few years um in uh, in the industry um i think also something worth mentioning is so not so much related with um with covid but um with the the wire card um uh, news uh, of post-COVID, I mean, for like of July time, is that um, there has been a change in the risk appetite of some banks, uh, probably catalyzed by COVID, but uh, totally finished uh, by by uh, Wirecard and the willingness to uh, to actually like uh, have a smaller risk appetite and understand better um, what's going on in in the background. And we certainly have felt that on on uh, on the business and on um, basically from like more inquiries from our uh, banking partners, which we welcome because uh, I mean, we are a transparent company. We have like our processes uh, fully uh, in, in place so we can answer those questions, but we have just felt a bit more nervosity in general from, from the market. Mm. Yeah, I think it's, it's quite interesting because as you say, there's, there's, it, it really depends how, agile the business can be in terms of their business model and how they can adapt but you see things like um obviously a, a lot of annual reports and stuff like that have come out for banks recently and you see like cost income ratios have, have spiked you've seen a massive reduction in net interest margins and that sort of stuff and there's there's real pressure on the financial services world but i think a lot of them are banking on when people are allowed to go out again and really start spending the economy then things should hopefully pick up and, and at least get back to some sort of normality. Yeah. Like, uh, well, let's see, because also we need to think, be mindful of uh, still a lot of people impacted. Uh, I mean, freelancers, people that are not on, on uh, contracts and stuff like that, that I've seen their uh, revenue drop massively. People working in the restaurant industry, people... Uh, working in all different uh, industries that have been directly impacted. So yes, uh, there should be a boost when everything open up, but we shouldn't forget the people that have uh, been impacted. Mm, no, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And so uh, regarding open paid specifically, has, has the pandemic made you adjust the way that you work and, and has it changed your strategy at all moving forward? 
Um, yes, of course, we had to adjust uh, definitely the way we work. I think that we are mindful that some people actually uh, like uh, are happy with more freedom and the ability to less commute. But we also know that some uh, some people um, like uh, live in small spaces and sometimes with roommates and things like that. And those ones are also keen to come back to the office. So the way we have approached it is that in putting in place uh, well some mental health support for sure. So like an open line plus training people internally. We have put in place all hands meeting on a weekly basis to, to, to provide visibility to, uh, to the teams of what's going on uh, with the company because, I mean, we are a startup, so things move every week. We have updates to give every week. So that's actually really good, but to keep a bit the pace, to keep people engaged. Um, we have put in place some social things such as like the quiz, like uh, some yoga, um, uh, some uh, something like that um, but um, I mean the truth is that we are very much looking forward to seeing each other um, seeing each other again and being able to work uh, together uh, face to uh, to face but meantime like we cannot um, afford leaving people behind so we really need to uh, like we uh, very mindfully and consciously try to keep everybody engaged mm. and work on communications as much as possible because the truth is that when you don't see each other like a lot of things get lost in uh, in translation mm. no absolutely I think from what I hear about startup culture as well it's very you, you can describe it as like a big family compared to say you've got a corporate with thousands and thousands of employees in a startup it's kind of like a a small village where everyone knows everyone everyone gets close with everyone and then to obviously have that taken away it was probably quite difficult um have you found that it sort of halted growth at all of open paid or you've been able to just adapt straight away and and everything's still sort of traveled at the same trajectory as before I, I think people have made the best they could and I think we have done as good as we could the truth is that um, in a context where people have personal circumstances that are um, uh, affecting them, I, I think it would be foolish to say that uh, working at distance has, uh, has kept the business as good as it could, right? Because, I mean, like, we are not in a normal situation where we just move to remo remote-only uh, type of company. That's not the case. And if it was the case, we like, you, you make the decision, probably at the beginning it's not so, all so smooth, but then you work towards it and you do it for specific reasons, right? Like, when you are in a context where, like, people are affected individually um, uh, by plenty different extents to plenty different levels, no, I don't think we have been as productive uh, as we have been the, the 12 months before. Now, have we done well? I believe, like given circumstances, we have done well. Our people have been uh, doing really like a lot. They have been engaged a lot and they have really helped us uh, keep on delivering as much as, uh, as we could. I think um, the key from what we've discussed is it's just about resilience and agility through the times and then... Um, once sort of the new normal takes shape is is then how can how can companies like yourselves attack it so um no i'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens moving forward um so in in terms of the, the fintech industry how how does a business try and stand out from all of the other startups and all of the other fintechs how, how do you really try and put your your head above the rest 
so I think so specifically with uh, with banking as a service and uh, and open paid. Um, I think as I was telling you, the positioning of open paid is just a bit different from everyone else on the market. Um, so I I believe we are standing out uh, in uh, in that perspective and the, where we are going, like this embedded finance. Um, uh, solution like the ecosystem bits, like the licenses bits, etc., just sets up the direction to become massively differentiated um, in the future. Now, in terms of customer acquisition, um, and then I will cover the branding part. In terms of customer acquisition, uh, on those early stages, it's really, uh, and when you are operating product market fit, it's really about like putting. Um, uh, basically assumptions on which segments that you think you will solve the biggest problem to, and that is the least uh, addressed by potentially competition or existing um, existing solutions. Um, and after that, it's proactive reach out um, to, to have those conversations to actually uh, validate your hypothesis and then sign customers and then keeping on like adding new functionalities to, to answer their needs and make sure that they stay with you. Um, so I think that's the thing, and you do that from one segment to another, and 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 you keep on doing that uh, uh, until you have like a specific number of target max markets um, uh, you you can uh, address. I mean, a fintech can only cater like can focus only on one target market. Um, we believe that we we can uh, do several at the same uh, time. Uh, like uh, given the the breadth, like the depth, let's say of the segments we are addressing. So, for example, we are uh, supporting crypto companies, and we are supporting remittance companies, and we are supporting marketplaces slash digital economy. Um, like the solutions are kind of are the same. It's the same platform, etc. So, like um, the idea is really to focus on the best use cases, the best brands, like the, the biggest volumes, um, and uh, and do account-based marketing. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is that, of course, like we have traditional uh, marketing channels such as uh, Google Ads, um, which is actually quite a, a good acquisition uh, inbound um, channel, and we are also like building lists and going through it on an automated perspective. So this is how we acquire customers. Uh, now on the um, like spreading the words about um, open paid. Uh, I mean, we have been accelerating a little bit on that side over the past uh, few months, but essentially it's like about refining our positioning, refining about uh, what, how we present ourselves and uh, by focusing on what we solve for our customers um, currently, and then being very vocal about it. So. Uh, as an example, embedded finance is, uh, is, a, is um, segments or trends that has been kind of building over the past 12 months. I mean, I would argue that it has been, I, I have been telling that for the past 10 years, <laughs> but over the past 12 months, let's say like the keywords have been more and more used. And since it's what we're doing, we are creating a lot of content around it to uh, help customers, but as well as bring visibility onto us on what we are doing um, to, to bring more and more customers.
Nice. And you, you spoke there about sort of the like spreading the word about open paid and, and industry leadership. And so that, that links to my next point, which is um, I know that you're a core member of the, the fintech and payments club on Clubhouse, which I, I, I love listening to. There's so many great discussions on there. So did you want to talk a bit about uh, a, a bit about the club and, and some of the discussions are held and sort of the reasons why you're so involved in it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the club um, was uh, set up by uh, James and uh, and uh, Patrick and uh, Neil. Um, it's now twenty eight thousand members. Uh, it was set up back uh, beginning of January, I believe. So it has been a pretty impressive growth. Um, and what we are trying to do is really to uh, to put together a community of people that are interested in fintech and uh, basically um, like bringing guests uh, that will cover uh, different topics, either like it's hot topics or it's basics around fintech, but but things that will be interesting and that can. Uh, create some new perspectives for the listeners, like teach them stuff or even give them uh, business um, business ideas. So this is really the, um, the thing. And um, I've gotten more and more involved into it because, um, well, uh, I have a, a good network of, of people um, that I speak uh, with quite often. And uh, I thought it would be uh, great to bring this uh, this network and uh, and bring them uh, like uh, a voice on this club and bring it to, to, to all the members. So um, I'm uh, personally, like I have been uh, doing a session last week with Chris Skinner uh, and, uh, and Rita Liu and uh, Yassine Regrigi on um, uh, what uh, the world can learn of Chinese fintechs. Um, uh, I was just personally very interested in, uh, in the topic, so that's the reason why I hold this session. Um, but moving forward, I'm putting in place a, a session uh, or a series which is called Beyond Fintech. And the idea is really to uh, look into what uh, brands, uh, how brands leverage fintech to, uh, to superpower their business models. So what I really want to look at is uh, Amazon, Facebook, uh, Uber, all that kind of thing, and uh, how fintech is actually enabling them to, to, to do more and really validating this uh, everybody will be a fintech um, motto essentially mm. yeah no, i mean I'd, I'd recommend anyone listening to to go and check out uh, the club but no there's some really great discussions on there um do you mentioned there about the the chinese fintechs do you find geography plays much of a role in terms of the types of fintechs that come out of of, of different regions or is everyone trying to solve the same problems Oh, that's a, gr a great question. Um, yes, geography plays a massive role. <laughs> uh, it, it does because uh, it depends on like uh, how the market is, uh, is structured. So, for example, um, in Europe, we were clearly the first wave of fintech with the US, maybe, uh, uh, around consumer, different verticals, rebundling the bank, all that kind of thing, which Asia maybe went through like five years later, but if you look at payments in China, like China is 10 years ahead of, uh, yeah. of us, it's, it depends on market conditions, it depends on customers, 
uh, it depends also on regulation and how um, regulators approach the thing. So if you look at Europe, we are so lucky to have um, passporting rights and the ability to operate in all um, EU jurisdiction with just one license. And it's actually a massive shame as part of Brexit that uh, the UK lost that. Um, because they did. So now, like, UK as part of Brexit is going for this bilateral agreement for one country by one country to, to keep the licenses, but the, the truth is that it's a, it's a shame. If you look at the US, um, like, when you want to launch a bank, you need to secure a license, a state-by-state -state license. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, like, very cumbersome. So um, the US has been starting working on Twitch, but clearly not as fast as, uh, as Europe for that. And in Asia, there is not even this, uh, this concept. While in Africa, uh, you don't need licenses, but you need a letter of comfort of banks to, uh, to operate. So of course, there are some licenses in some countries, but essentially, if you want to do cross-border payments, you need letter of comfort. So like... It's the how people use it and what their needs, but it's also very much how regulations accompany uh, the fintech efforts. Mm. So you, you spoke there about regulation quite a lot. Do you, do you find that new regulation and changing regulation also then sparks new fintechs into the market, or, do, or is it a case of existing fintechs just having to adapt constantly to new regulations that come out? No, hundred percent. Um, uh like regulation can help and i'm talking about the open banking stuff like it is 100% psd2 regulation uh brought by european union um that uh is forcing innovation mm. um so we are still early stage like some argue could like some could argue that it's not a success it's probably too early to, to make some conclusions. When I see the need and the request for payment initiation from my uh, clients, and when I see how it has been working in Netherlands with their ideal network for years, I'm just convinced that, um, that it was for the better. Nice, nice. And so just to round up on the on the FinTech and Payments Club, if anyone wants to to join the club or listen to any of the chats like we just discussed, uh, how, how would they go about doing so? Yes, uh, well, uh, you can join Clubhouse. Uh, hopefully you have uh, an Apple, <laughs> an iPhone, <laughs> because at the moment it's still not available on Android. But um, you just uh, basically go and look for the FinTech and Payments Club or you look for me, Sophie uh, Gibaud, G-U-I-B-A-U-D, and you follow me and uh, then you will be able to find the club. Um, and essentially we are holding sessions almost every day. Uh, uh, it's sessions that... Uh, are planned often for one hour but end up often being one hour and a half or two hours but you can drop anytime you don't don't feel obliged to stay uh, until uh, until the end and um, you can go also on our website which is the fintech and payments uh, dot club um, website and you can see uh, all the moderators like all the uh, basically who's involved um, you can see our calendar of events you can subscribe to some events and you can also like register a profile and tell us a bit more about you so that we can actually drive the content of um of it yeah I, th I think the the best bit that i find about clubhouse um is the fact that you have all these great speakers but you hardly ever get a chance to speak to them on a day-to-day -day basis but you're able to put your hand up 
go on stage as, as they say on clubhouse and and ask a direct question to someone that you you may not have even know they existed let alone be able to speak to them so no it's it's, it's quite amazing um so looking to the future what can you see in the world of fintech do do you think like for example cryptocurrencies are here to stay and are going to become more prominent what what are some of the key trends you think looking moving forward yeah so crypto is still for the geeks but it's going to become mainstream for sure like i i really strongly uh, believe uh, so i think saying it's mainstream now is wrong too because like it's going to be mainstream when basically uh, your hsbc account will give you some uh, crypto uh, wallet uh, mm. uh, like um, I, I think that will uh, mean then it's becoming mainstream so crypto is definitely one of them embedded finance as i told you in 15 years time i believe payments will be um, kind of um, everywhere well, pay, uh, payments, uh, increasing like cross-border payments and things like that. Like at the moment, payments are pretty broken, to be honest. Like when I see what it takes to put together an embedded finance use case and like the payment flows of the customers and like going through several providers to put it together, like you're just like a lot needs still to, to, to be done before it's really become um, seamless. So that is something that is happening. We can see also consolidation of uh, payment uh, actors, like a lot of acquisition of online players buying offline players, offline players buying online players and, and stuff like that. Um, so I think that is one also of, um, of the main uh, trends. Um, I think there is RegTech as well. That is a very strong one where basically like automatizing more and more the, the, the job like of, of some people that uh, need to stay in front of computer like all day and look at what's going on. So I think um, RegTech is very important. Nice. There's, there's, you, you spoke about crypto becoming more mainstream then. Do you think things like payment providers will eventually be doing crypto payments across borders and that sort of stuff and it will literally be like a, yeah. a common use case rather than sort of a lot of people think the, the main use case will be the store of wealth for example no we're there already definitely like i i have demands from a payment processor to uh, to take crypto payments we're working with a partner that does that so clearly that's a demand specifically on marketplaces and um, e-commerce merchants that wants the ability to take payments in crypto mm -hmm. but wants to be able to pay stuff in crypto as well so like all those use cases are definitely happening as we speak um, like I, I think we, you can think of specifically geographies where there is like controls on currencies to go out and in and stuff like that it's, it's quite um let's say an extension uh, to, to what they can do mm, yeah um no to be fair I'm, I, everything that you said I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing where the industry goes in 10 to 15 years i think we're we're quite similar in the fact that um i, I love the sort of culture of a startup so i i can't wait to see how regulation and innovation sort of propels the industry it's, it's really exciting um so just just to finish up if anyone wants to find out some more information about open paid or yourself where's the best place for them to do so um so is there on the website so openpaid.com so uh, open and pay P-A-Y-D.com. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. And myself, clearly, on LinkedIn. Uh, so Sophie Giboji, you 
I-B-A-U-D. Um, and uh, yeah, you can add me, you can talk to me. I'm, uh, I'm more than happy to, to answer. I cover a lot about what we do at OpenPaid, about uh, women in fintech, about the Fintech and Payments Club and about embedded finance. So nice thanks um so sophie it's, it's been an absolute pleasure having you join me today so so thank you so much um i really appreciate you sharing your insights into the world of fintech and and i look forward to seeing the continued growth of OpenPaid. thank you ben thank you for listening to another episode of let's shape the future series two um we've got some great guests coming up over the next couple of weeks next week is the md for emia for shopify shimona meta really great episode talking about e-commerce for all so please keep your eye out for that and as always please leave a review if you enjoyed the content and share with friends family colleagues or anyone else you think would also enjoy have a great week guys